it, when Pastor Jeremy's not here, we, I feel like I do too much talking. Do you guys feel that way? <laughs> Thanks. I heard that, yeah. I feel that way. I'm not even joking, though. For me, it feels like that sometimes because I feel like we should do some kind of a set change or season change or something so you can, uh, we can shift gears here. But here's what I want to talk to you about today, and it's something that's been on my heart for a long time. But let me just start it like this. Years ago, when my kids were little, how many ever say start a story like that? <laughs> and they're not here today. They're all at the winter retreat. All three of my children are there. But years ago, we used to play, you know, a lot of games. One of the games we used to play, we'd do treasure hunt. And they loved this game. It's one of those games they love so much that they were asked to do it all the time, where you would feel like, again? Ah, okay. But, I mean, they loved doing this. And, we, and they would do it sometimes, and then I would do it, or we'd go back and forth. And basically what we'd do is we'd write up all these clues and then hide them somewhere around the house. And you, when you went to one, one clue, that would lead you to the next clue, to the next clue, to the next clue, and then ultimately there would be a prize. And we would, I would sometimes draw them out, sometimes it'd be a map, and sometimes I'd do a, you know, a drawing of a TV, and they'd say, what is this? Sometimes I'd try to make it like a, like a clue, like a clever clue, where I, I might say something like, um, well, th- this is usually hot, but that's a good thing when mom's cooking. Now that I think about it, it probably wouldn't be good to send them to the stove, but, but that's what we do. And they love that. And it would go on for hours, and then they would do it. And we'd go back and forth and back and forth. And I was thinking about it this week, and I remember, I just realized, I couldn't think of one of those treasures at the end. I couldn't think of one thing that they actually were searching for. I just remember the process of so excited going from clue to clue to clue. You know what else kind of hit me? I realized when we played that game the last time, I didn't know it was the last time. Isn't that weird? I didn't know. It's faded already and it's gone. And, and they probably wouldn't want to play that game anymore unless there was a legit treasure at the end, like actual cash or a car or something, you know. But I didn't know it was the last thing because those things change. And the treasures that they want to seek for are different now. Now my girls, they don't play with dolls anymore. They'd rather test new makeup styles and that kind of thing. And my son doesn't play with cars anymore. He wants to drive the car. It changes. Those things fade and they go away and they just aren't important anymore. It's funny because that game, it, it didn't last. But it was a treasure hunt each time and it felt so important in the moment, but it didn't last. It's funny how that works because if I could compare that to our own life, we kind of do the same thing. We have our own little treasure hunts that we go on, and we think it's really a big deal. And it's it's something that seems so important to us at the moment. And it might be a might be a job or a or a car or or, or a boat or or the latest purse or or a certain outfit or a new house. It could be a lot of those things, and we we kind of have the idea that 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 thing is going to bring us a lot of pleasure and it's going to be really important to us. Till the next treasure comes around, right? And we spend time on that and working and money and time away from family. We try to get those treasures. And then what happens? We need a newer boat and a bigger car and the latest purse and then the nicer home. And the next treasure comes along. And each one of those treasures kind of fade away and 
You think it's important, but then you realize it's not quite as important as it was, and we want newer, bigger, more, better, shinier. And we start running after another treasure. So often, these treasures, they come down to money. You know, money is one of those things that with people, it's such a touchy subject, isn't it? It's still one of the major reasons that people have trouble in their marriages. It comes down to money. Something that separates people over and over. It's money. It's weird because it seems like you, we try to hold on to that so tightly. And a lot of times we sacrifice the things that are really important, like the relationships in the middle of it, because we want the money. And what I found over, over time is that a lot of times as we're holding on to money, we find out that really it's the money holding on to us. And we feel like we own it, but a lot of times it owns us. And we're following it around instead of us following it around. Sometimes we trust money for really the things that only God can do. I mean, we look to money to give us satisfaction, and really only God can truly satisfy. We look for money to give us comfort and security. And we look for money to satisfy us and give us permanence. And yet it can't do that. It's weird because it almost becomes kind of a God, a God that promises more than it could ever deliver. And we chase, chase, chase and try so hard to get it for this prize that's out there. But the prize never really comes because there's always going to be something else that money teases us with and draws us to and pulls us to. You probably heard people say, you know, you can't really buy happiness. Have you heard that before? Then I heard somebody say, I could try. <laughs> I, could buy, I could buy the things that bring me happiness. But even in that, is, 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 is the, the lie is right in there because it's not the things. They're not going to bring the happiness. I heard really a wise person say once, actually, money can buy you happiness. Here's how it works. Rather than buying things for you, you buy for other people. And that brings you happiness. <laughs> it's deep. So today we're talking to give or not to give, to give or not to give. I want to share with you some principles about giving, about money, that hopefully will help you as you navigate this treasure hunt we call life. First thing, I just want to establish all of this. There, there really is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. Just like your marriage relationship, money can be something that literally separates you from God in an unhealthy way. And it shouldn't be that way. He doesn't want it to be that way. And I know at the core of your heart, you don't want it to be that way either. But I think the reason it becomes that is because sometimes we misunderstand its rightful place in our lives. Let me, let me start like with this. This is an old saying, but the way to a man's heart is through his what? And we think that, but it's not true. Sadly, for most people... The way to a person's heart is actually through their wallet. Because God doesn't really have your heart until he has your wallet. And I know for some of you, are like, wait, hold on now. We're not taking another offering. I'm just telling you right now. We already did that. We're not doing another one. You can relax. The fact is that Jesus spoke about money quite a bit. It's interesting, you know, we... At times, we, we want to just skip over certain things that we don't like in the Bible. I think I told you the story before about the guy who had a Bible, and he just started cutting stuff out he didn't like, yeah. either stuff he didn't agree with 
or stuff that bothered him, he just cut it out. Then he would just read around it. And the truth is, we do the same thing. We don't cut it out, we just don't read it. And for sure, we don't want to hear about it, and we don't like hearing about it. But Jesus said it this way. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's the truth. That first part really is plain. You you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's funny because I don't think of it like that. When I think about investment vehicles, for me, I think of, you know, the things you hear about in the NASDAQ or the stock exchange, and you're going to put your money in there and you're going to get a return. And what Jesus is trying to say is that you need to change your concept of investment vehicles and not put it in earthly vehicles, which will disappoint you. Instead, put it in spiritual things where you will get a real return. The earth's investment vehicles are volatile. Let me say it in in financial speak. But heaven's investment tools are dependable. It's almost like, hey, you you want a stock tip? I got one for you. It's called Jesus. (laughs) You know, you think about people accumulating vast wealth and then the government changes and what you're holding in your hand is worthless. And thankfully, we haven't experienced like something quite like that in the United States for a long time. But I know a lot of people who lost a lot of money in the 08 crash. And God forbid we would have something like that coming up. But I was reading an article last year at the end of the year in December that kind of struck me. And I, I don't know if you follow the news and the rest of the world at all, but something that was, I don't know why it's been on my heart for a long time, is all the things going on in Venezuela. And I think about that government there and how you know, people couldn't even get toilet paper at some point. And there's, you know, that's an oil-rich country, but because of the way the government works, the people themselves are in incredible deprivation all the time. And last December, there was this article in the paper where the current president, um, a lot of us probably don't even know his name, but his name's Nicolas Maduro. And um, what he did is he said that he was going to give the people 72 hours to exchange their 100 Bolivar notes for coins of the same amount. And then they announced that a week later, that they were going to replace the Bolivar note with other bills, six other bills worth between 520,000. That way, as the economy changed, so what you used to have was 100, now it's going to be 20,000. Isn't that scary? I mean, that would literally mean you might as well just light it on fire because it's worthless. And then the saddest part of that story was at the end, it said, then when all those bills were supposed to be exchanged... They didn't show up to the banks, and so the lines were wrapped blocks and blocks around the bank to just get some money for them to buy sustenance. And I remember sitting there reading that and thinking, that is a picture of what we experience all the time. Because we put such value in things that ultimately do not have intrinsic value. They're worth something to us at the moment, but in the end, you can't depend that it'll always be worth what you think it is. And the value changes over and over and over and over. I don't know if you've done this before, but there's times where I'll watch one of those TV shows like the Pawn Stars or something like that, and somebody will bring something in, and they think it's worth a lot of money. And on the face, you think it is. I I remember specifically what I'm thinking of right now is this, this guy brought in a coin collection that had been handed down to him. And he himself was not a collector, but he he looked at all these coins and figured they've got to be worth a lot of money. And with almost every one, they would look at it and they say, well, if this had a D on it, 
it'd be worth, and they would say some astronomical number. But in this case, this quarter's worth about 26 cents. And he just watched his face just get crushed because what he had put value in didn't actually have value. And we stumble over that all the time in this life. Christ, what he's saying is store up your treasure in heaven, not for yourself, but for others and for the future. You know, sometimes we, we think about the rewards that Christ offers and we say, well, is it, is it wrong? Well, here's the thing. Jesus said it's okay to have treasures. And that wasn't the problem. It's just where your heart is becomes the problem. Think of it like this. The money God entrusts to us here on earth is an internal investment. And every time you have an opportunity every day to buy up more shares in his kingdom. Look at it like this. Actually, God owns everything and you become his money manager. It's as if he's trusted you with his money because he really ultimately owns it all. And then you get to be the one to decide how it's used. But still, it's not ours to use. We're stewards We're almost like the investment bankers, and and we're looking for places to invest our owner's money. Something about it. When, When you look at money that way, it changes everything. Instead of you grasping, 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 it allows you to say to God, where do you want this to go, and how do you want this to be used? And then he takes that and multiplies it for his glory and does what we could never even do. Let me Let me just keep on with this. Another thing to think about is your heart always goes where you put God's money. See what I did there? Switched out your for God's. Because it's his. But your heart will always go where that money is. And I could say it like this. I could say if, if, if you were to show me your checkbook or your visa statement or your receipts, it'd be pretty clear to see where your heart is. Because that's where you pay it. And that's what happens is your, your money follows your heart. And if we were to flip that around and, and your heart is for what God wants... Then you could look at it the other way and say, I need to find out where God's heart is and put my money there. Changes everything, doesn't it? The whole perspective of why you give and what you do. Another way to look at it is you're literally investing in the kingdom and where you invest, that's where your heart's going to be. You're going to actually have more ownership in what God is doing and, and what he's doing and how he's moving because you put your heart there. If you don't put your heart there, you're going to be less interested in what he's doing and what's going on. That's just how it works. You're more interested in what God is doing if you invest in it. It's kind of like all those sayings that talk about, like, you've got skin in in the game or you've got a dog in the fight. I mean, all those sayings, it's the same thing because now you're involved in what's happening. You've actually got something to lose. You've got an investment. You've got a piece of the action. You've, You've got money on the line. You become... I love this. You become a stakeholder, really an owner in what God is doing. You're part of his movement. Something to think about it is, I think one of the greatest deterrents that most of us have to giving is we, we, we buy into the illusion that this is all there is and that this is our home. This is a temporary home. Where we live now is temporary. The fact is that heaven, not earth, is your home. And when you're kingdom-minded and you... You see the fact that you don't, this is not all there is. There's more beyond this. It changes everything. And if you think about it, this world is full of illusion like that. We start to feel comfortable, but then 
Every once in a while, like, like maybe some of the things we mentioned today, you get this tinge of reality that you realize this world, there's actually something wrong with it. Actually, a lot of things wrong. And the closer you look and, and you see the evil and you see the despair and you see things going wrong, it's a broken place. You weren't made for here. You were made for there. And of course, that seems like a contradiction. We're, we were created for a place we haven't actually seen yet. And so since this is all we know, it's, it's understandable why we get so focused on here. Seems like we've done a lot of funerals lately as a church, as a family, as a church family. Seems like one a week, and I, and I don't know if that's even true. It just it feels like that. And every single one I'm sitting in, it makes me, it reminds me that this is not our home. This is not our home. That, that those we're sitting there to honor and remember, they've actually gone ahead to home before us. They're there where we're going, and they're there already. And we haven't got to go yet. But it starts to make it easier to live in this world knowing that this is not home. So let me encourage you, don't be so attached to the things here. Because it's, it's not permanent. How many of you guys have ever uh, heard that saying that one man's trash is another man's treasure? You ever heard that before? You know archaeologists actually prefer to find trash dumps than they do like buildings and cities? You know why? Because they can tell what the, what the society valued by looking at what ends up in the trash and how that works. And here's the funny thing about it. Everything we value today will ultimately end up there. That's just how it is. It's temporary stuff. Started to remind me of, of um, you know, I was just thinking about the fact that this life is so temporary. And I know this is corny, but I was thinking back to kind of geometry. Anybody ever have geometry? Remember how you learned that a dot is a fixed point in space? And, and what was a line? The line goes straight on into what? Eternity. I literally remember my teacher saying that. And I remember thinking, she just said eternity. And I remember thinking, I, I, I mean, I'm weird, but I just remember thinking, wow, that's forever. Let me, let me encourage you to live for the line and not for the dot. What we experience is so temporary. It's, it's all about perspective, isn't it? You ever known anybody that lacked perspective? We see it all the time. And sometimes when we see this lack of perspective, you, you kind of just, at least for me, there's times where I watch stuff going down and, and it's almost a mix of amazement and fascination and sadness all at the same time. How many of you have ever been to the grocery store and you're seeing a kid, a little child, meltdown like Armageddon level meltdown? And you hear it happening and you're an aisle away and you're thinking, I'm going to do my shopping over here, but it never stops. And then, then there's a curiosity that comes. You've got to see what's going on here. I mean, why is this kid doing this? Then you walk up, and you know that cheap toy aisle they've got at every grocery store? But those te- toys are the worst toys in the planet. Little tiny plastic thing that's going to break before they probably even get it home. And that's what he's melting down over. No perspective, right? None. That's like zero. Zero perspective. Or since the youth aren't here, I'll use them as an example. How about the high school girl who stomps all the way to her room and slams the door and bursts into tears and the pillow soaked because her hair didn't turn out right? Right? Perspective. It's all perspective. 
Or how about the college kid who's partying and wasting their parents' money and getting these grades that are going to follow them the rest of their life and affect their future, but they're having fun in the moment? How many of you watched that TV show, Hoarders? Anybody admit it? Well, that hand went up quick. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you are, and I apologize, but I'm telling you, watching that show, it's just a mind blower, isn't it? I mean, I've literally seen some of those shows where they are crawling up over, and there's like this much room between the top of the door and this pile of stuff. And, and you look at it, and you see, how could you be so consumed with acquiring more of these things and watching your own quality of life just nosedive? Perspective. Then you hear them trying to counsel them and talk to them, and then they get, them, they get them to agree to get rid of some stuff. And then as they start to do it, they're just freaking out over losing one thing. It's perspective. Of course, those are extremes. But for us today, I want you to see that our perspective is we live forever. And how you live forever starts now. And you might as well plan on forever. Because the eternity we get to enjoy starts now and goes on and on and on. So I want to encourage you to go beyond that and invest your money for the line, not just the dot. It's more than all that. I think, too, giving is really the only antidote to materialism. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I've, I've heard stories like this over and over where somebody will come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Dennis, I had this thing, car, whatever. I've heard car. I've heard all sorts of things. And it was the most important thing in my life. In fact, let me just tell you a true story in my own ministry when I first started in youth ministry, we, you know, we would talk about Speed the Light, and that's the missions arm of the youth. And the way Speed the Light started, it was in the 50s, right after World War II, and there was this huge, huge glut of, of vehicles coming back from the war, and all these things were being sold cheaply. And I mean, it made a lot of sense. I mean, the youth can pay almost nothing for a Jeep that was barely used in the, in the war, and they'd send that to a foreign country, and it would get a great use. But now it's all changed around. The youth are still buying cars, but then other things that speed the light, like sound systems and electronics and computers, some of the most expensive things that missionaries could ever use, put on the shoulders of the young people. And so I was just explaining this and encourage our young people to give. And this, this one girl, she had just graduated from high school and had worked all her high school experience and bought herself a car. And she was planning to go to Bible college. Her name was Georgia, and I remember her coming up to me one night after a youth service, and I, I did not put a heavy guilt trip on them at all. I don't believe in that. I wasn't emotionally tweaking them or anything. And she comes up, and she says, Pastor Dennis, I feel like God told me to give my car to speed the light. And I chuckled. I said, really? I don't think he is. <laughs> she goes, no, I really do. I'm like, how, how could that be? And, and she was just a kid. She said, she said, well, as you're speaking, I just kept thinking, this has become an idol to me. The most important thing in my life, I was more proud of this than anything else. She goes, and I don't really need it. Because where I'm going to school, I'm going to live on campus, I don't really need it. And they need it. I was so humbled. I was blown away because I didn't have that kind of view, and I, and I, I didn't ask her to do it. And it. Later that night, I got a call from her parents. <laughs> they didn't agree with that either. And uh, in the end, she did. She, they sold the car and gave the money to speed the light. And I know it helped missionaries. It's amazing, though, because uh, she, her doing that was a cure to my materialism because I realized nothing I have is that important. 
Nothing I have is worth more than seeing God's work done. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see lost people and then invest your money there. I want you to see ministry in God's heart and try to have your heart line up with what his heart is. Now, having said all this, you are a generous church. You are a good people. And there's never been a time where we've had a need and ask and you didn't respond. You do. And we are supporting more missionaries now than we have in the church's history. And, and it blows me away because, as I've said before from this pulpit, any time even the finances might have been generally down, missions has always given more than we needed. Always. That is blessing on you. And so I commend you for that. I'm not telling you this today because I feel like you needed a kick in the pants to give more. And again, we're not taking another offering. It's not about that. It's about the fact that some of us do need to arrange our priorities. And if that's you, God's speaking to you, not me. Because I don't look at the giving numbers. I mean, I look at the total, but I don't look at who gives what. I have no idea. I do not know. And I don't want to know. I don't need to know. God knows and you know. This is between you and him. What I want you to see is that God's money has a, has a bigger purpose than your affluence. And it's more important what he wants to do with it sometimes than what you want to do with it. And sometimes you need to line up what you feel like you want to do with what he wants to do and ask him what he wants to do. Because he's got a purpose. What this is about is, is letting Christ's lordship guide your finances. Because a lot of people see it separate. I, I, I talked to a guy, a good Christian guy, a solid guy. And I remember one time he said, I make my money. I do this. And it, it was so weird to know him and to hear him saying that. It's almost like, it's almost like remember back with regular records and you could stop it and go, Arr! that's what happened in my ear, in my brain. I'm like, what? I said, you don't think God gives you the power to make money? He goes, well, I applied for the job. I did it. It's my, who gave you all that? Who gave you that creativity and that talent and that favor? Seriously. And, and his heart changed over that. But when he said that, I thought, well, okay, I'll see how it is. <laughs> I get asked all the time, pastor, is it, is, it, is it 10%? Do we still believe in the tithe? Because in the Old Testament, is a tithe. In the New Testament, it says, give all you can, right? <laughs> I believe this. I, I, I think... I think God puts on our hearts what we can do. I believe tithing is a good place to start, and it's a good number, but it shouldn't be a ceiling. I've talked to people who, you know, they say, yeah, every year my wife and I have prayed, and we decided we're going to give a percent more as God provides. I love that part, as God provides, because it's about you and him. It's not about you going into debt to, to put money in the plate. It's about God blessing you and, and you putting what he's given you to work for him. That's what it's about. You know, as you read the Bible, especially Paul, there, there's, there's, some, there's some stories in the, in the New Testament where Paul is, is taking up offerings for the people in Jerusalem who are in need. And he goes to each of the churches he started, and he's asking them to contribute to this offering. Honestly, if you look at some of his arguments in there, I feel like I'm watching a TV preacher. Because he says stuff that I know you can give more than them. I mean, it's crazy. And what he's doing is calling, in fact, look in 2 Corinthians 8, 3. For I can testify, he's talking, about, he's talking to the Corinthians about another church, that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. 
He's the one who says God loves a cheerful giver. The fact is, you need to talk to God and see what it's about. Sometimes it's like this. How many of you guys have ever played um, one of those card games where the goal is to get rid of all your cards? Like maybe hearts or something. And then at the end of the game, the way the scoring goes is, is everybody else counts up what they have in their hands, and that's how you see who lost by what they had left. I think that sometimes we look at giving to God the, kind of the opposite way, and we should maybe look at it more like those card games, and that it's about his ministry and what he's trying to do. Let me, let me throw another principle at you. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. I really do believe this. I really do. I believe that one of the reasons God has blessed America is that the American church has sent more missionaries around the world than any other country in the world, ever. More money has come out of the pockets of American Christians to the world than any other country on earth. I believe that's why he prospered us, so that we could bless the nations. And not for our glory, for his glory. But the fact is, we kind of get it backwards sometimes, and we feel like God is blessing us, and and we, we think it's all about us, and it's not. It's about what he wants to do in the world, and this is the, the plan. I was thinking about this. What if, you know, because we just came through Christmas or whatever, but like what if the, the FedEx or UPS driver came, he, he got your package, and then he opened it and took it home? Hey. Yeah, hey. You'd be, like, <laughs> you'd be like, whoa, what up with that? Hey, wait a minute. You're supposed to deliver that. So maybe God gave it to you so you could deliver it. It wasn't for you. You're the delivery. <laughs> Just because God puts money in our hands doesn't mean he intends for it to stay there. He's a good friend of mine, Danny Sparks, in fact. He, he uses this phrase. I, it's, I don't know. I can't remember exactly how it is, but it's basically if, if he comes into some extra money, he, wonder, he's, he asks God, is this a blessing for me? Or a blessing for somebody else. And if it's for somebody else, tell me who. That's, I have to be honest, that's hard sometimes. Because ever since he told me that, I do that. And when money comes into my hand, I keep, I sometimes I bargain, like, but God, this was a gift for me. (laughs) Says me on the card. (laughs) And then I hear his voice like, do you really need that? Because I know someone who needs that right now. And it's a challenge. It, it gets me, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Man, I wish Danny hadn't told me that. <laughs> Let me ask you a series of questions here, or just set this up for you for a minute. Let's suppose for a minute that God wanted to reach the world with his message of forgiveness and grace and love. He, he does, right? Okay, God, you're with me? And let's suppose God decided to use people to reach the lost. He, he does. Okay. And let's say that God decided to work through the current system we have through people and churches and organizations, and it actually takes money. It does. And let's say, let's suppose God gave us money so that we could accomplish his purposes. He does. He does all that. He literally trusts you with his money to do his work. That's what he does. 
You know, you may be saying, well, Pastor Dennis, okay, I, I get all that. And maybe God is dealing with somebody here, and I don't know who, honestly. As I prayed about this, you know, I thought, God, I, I feel like you're convicting me here and here and here and here. And I felt like he was saying, you know what, I'll deal with people, and that's not your problem. I'll tell you this, though. I think about how our world has changed in just a few years. And you, you have to know what I'm talking about. I'm, you know, you think about computers. In fact, this morning I was kind of kidding around with, with a grandma and her granddaughter. They were both on their phones doing something. I mean, look at that. They're, they can do, it, it's amazing what you can do. You know, one, a good friend of mine, he always, someone will ask him, one of his kids will ask him a question. He said, you have one of the greatest computing tools ever known to man in your hand. It's amazing, isn't it? Life has changed dramatically. Let me, let me just ask a question from you. <clears throat> I'm curious, how many of you, again, we're not taking another offering, so don't worry about the answer. You can answer honestly. How many of you actually have a checkbook with you today? I'm just curious. Raise, could you do this, do, seriously do me a favor? Raise your hand for just a second. I want the rest of us to look around. What do you think that is? 15%? Maybe 10 For I can't even remember. You can put your hands up. I can't even remember the last time I had a checkbook. My wife let me have a checkbook. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know we have a checkbook somewhere in the house. Recent, you know, since we moved a couple months ago or a month ago, I literally have no idea where that is. None. I haven't actually written a check off our checking account. I can't even remember when. Honestly, I cannot remember at all. Let me ask. Well, I was going to ask who had cash in their pocket, but I'm not going to ask that because we're not taking an offering. I'm not, I don't want to know for that reason. All I want to do is think about this for a minute. Our world has changed a lot. We don't, we don't actually use that kind of uh, banking anymore. Let me ask it a different way. How many of you use uh, electronic banking at all for anything? How, uh, let me ask how many of you would say that maybe you, you pay 50% of your bills online? Raise your hands for a second. How many would, wow, that's a lot. How many would you say you do everything online, all your Wow. It's funny, isn't it? Because I remember the first time I heard about a church putting in like a giving kiosk like what we had. And I was not, this is just a few years ago. And I thought, that seems so crass. We're, we're, we're buying into the whole credit problem that the whole world has. I can't believe we're, but that's how we do our thing. That's how we do our banking today. And, you know, I know that people will always put, put a check in the, in the offering as it goes by, and we'll always probably pass a plate like that. But I'll tell you, since I don't do, for, personally, I don't do our banking, and I don't do the online stuff myself personally, it is awkward when that, that bag comes in front of me. It is. Because I feel like I should put something in there, but I know we already gave online, and then I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's times, too, where I'm thinking, I wonder if people think I don't ever give because I don't have to because I work here. <laughs> I, I know this is silly. And sometimes I think, I wonder if I should put something in just so people know I give. And then I feel God saying, it's not about what people know or don't know. It's about what I've called you to do and, and, and how much I've called you to do. And that's between you and me. And I'm thinking, well, still, I'm an, I'm an example, and people probably wonder, or maybe they don't, or maybe they're not looking, or maybe they are, and, and he's like, stop. <laughs> if they are, I need to work on them, Amen. and you just settle down and do what I've called you to do. Amen. It's hard, though, I, and I get it. 
And I know you want to give to Crown Point, and I know you want to support the ministries of this church. I know you do. I don't even question that. Because you do, and you give, and I appreciate what you do. What we're trying to do is, is kind of catch up to the way people actually give and actually how it actually works. So let me just answer the question here and, and why I'm, I'm giving you this little input, because I'm thinking that maybe some of you are thinking, well, I do want to give, and there's been some barriers to that because we don't give like we used to. Well, that giving kiosk that's right out there on the little counter kind of by the main bathrooms over there, that still is operational, and you can give through there. You can give to events. You can give to specific ministries or missions or your tithing offering. You can do all that. You can do something one time or reoccurring. I remember a good friend of mine, he's a minister, he was, he was talking about reoccurring giving, and he just got up in front of everybody, and he said, can I be honest with you? There's a lot of times I forget to tithe. And I'm a pastor. He goes, but since we have reoccurring giving, I know it's done and I don't have to think about it. I don't feel guilt anymore over it. It's a powerful tool that you can use. But what's happened here at the church is it used to be that our databases with the youth, the children's, and the main church databases were all separate. Separate companies, separate plans. And we realized that's not efficient use of God's money and it's not the way. It doesn't help us. You know, they're all separate like that. So we've started a new new company. It's called... um, it's called Planning Center. It's the same, same, works the same, but it'll be the same across all the boards. And so it's a new giving portal that people can use. And I want to just be up front with you, and I want to show you a quick video to show you how this works. So take a look. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church. And here's how to get started. If you want to give a quick gift, just enter an amount, select a fund, and enter your email address. Then, simply enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to that email address and save that giving history on our end. If you ever want to view your giving history or manage your account, you'll want to log in. Just click the Login button on the top left, enter your email, and we'll email you a secure login link. Click the link in your email and you're in! There are no passwords or usernames to remember. Once you are logged in, you can update your contact information, add payment methods, manage your recurring donations, review your giving history, and download any statements that we've issued. To get started, just click the link on our website. If you have any questions, let us know, and we'd be happy to help. I like that happy music. We've also added, and it's in your bulletin, a text-to-give number if you wanted to use your phone that way. People do that. You, maybe you've heard this, like maybe when there's a, a tragedy and they say, you can text to this number $20 and that'll go to this fund or whatever. We've, it's the same thing. And it works exactly like what you saw on the screen. You can set up an account, give to whatever part of the church you want. But as we close today, I want you to shut your eyes for a minute. I want to take you back a few minutes ago before the video with the happy music and all that. I want to take you back to a moment where maybe you felt God speaking to you, where maybe you started to wonder what God was calling you to do that's different than what you're doing now. And as I told you a minute ago, we're not taking another offering because it's not about that. What I really want to talk to you about is your heart and God's heart. And I want to talk to you about if you're one of those who maybe money has taken a place it shouldn't have in your life, or things maybe have taken a place it shouldn't have. What I want you to do is just between you and him for a moment, 
I want you to speak to him about what he wants from you and the relationship he wants from you. Because that matters more than anything else. I heard this said once and it, it caught me by surprise, but the preacher was right. He said, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. It comes down to this. How do you get to a person's heart? Sadly, sometimes it's through the wallet. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. Money's just a tool. Money's how, how we get the gospel out. Money's how we keep the lights on. Money's just a thing. He wants you. So as we come before him right now today, I just want you to ask him simple question between you and him. Just ask him, God, is my heart in the right place? Just ask him right now. Lord, your word says to search my hearts, to know our hearts. Know if there's anything in us that needs to change. That's our desire today. That's our deepest desire today. David, would you put some music on? I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we want our hearts to be aligned with your heart. We want our heart to be aligned with your mission. God, we want, we want our heart to be right where your heart is at every moment. And if there's any point from today on where that starts to get misaligned, I pray, God, that you would just speak to us, still small voice, and just say, child, here's where I need you to go. And God, I pray you help us to be obedient to that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? It's been great to see you here today. I just want to bless you as you head out. I want to encourage you to be here next week. Get ready to lace up those roller skates. Maybe bring a pillow along with you. <laughs> I still can't decide if I'm going to try to skate or just watch, because watching could be fun. But uh, I encourage you, bless each other on your way out the door, and thank you for being here today. God bless you. <clears throat>